Hi, my name is Elena Shores. My husband is Justin Shores, and we have two boys, Cameron Shores, who is 16, and then Connor Shores, who is three. Um, we've been going to the church now for almost three years, two and a half, three years, and we love our church. There's so many things to love about our church, but what I love most about our church is the WOW group. I participate in that. I'm amazed at how these women come together and show pour so much love and support into our community and just everyone around us in general. I love the relationships that I share with these women. Um, they, you know, no matter what you're going through, you can call them. They're going to give you love. They're going to give you support. They're going to send you encouraging messages, just whatever you need. The thing I love most about our church, though, would be the Thrive Room. Cameron, my eldest son, he will be 16. Um, he had a stroke when he was in utero and it killed the left side of his brain. So Cameron is special needs. Um, I'm sure everyone has seen him around, um, but you wouldn't believe how many churches aren't so welcoming to families with someone who has special needs. The first day that we came here at Burning Bush, Mitzi met me at the children's department. She took one look at Cameron and she said, I've got the perfect room for you. And she took us to the Thrive Room. And in the Thrive Room, we were welcomed right away. They started asking questions about him, wanting to know what they needed to know, how they could help. And I was able to go and sit in church and actually listen to the preacher preach and, you know, receive the word that God had to share for me that day. Um, being a family with special needs, nothing is easy for us. Um, even to leave the house to go on simple trips, simple grocery store trips, there's extra steps you have to take in place because of the, the cares or the surroundings for Cameron and different things like that. Um, we've never had a problem here at the church. We've always felt welcome. Um, we come to all the kids' events. We love how involved the kids are at this church and how many opportunities opportunities they are for the kids to be involved at the church. Good to see everybody today. I appreciate Elena kind of giving us a, uh, a different perspective about what goes on at Burning Bush here. And let me mention, um, Sydney Slavin is sitting right over here, and she kind of heads up our special needs ministry, and they could always use some more volunteers. A lot of them are, uh, we don't have as many people to rotate down there as we do in some of our other ministries. And if you think that's something you might be interested in, she will be standing over here after church this morning, and she can kind of fill you in a little bit about what will be uh, required and what they do and those kind of things. And I know they would uh, definitely appreciate it. Um, you know, those, those folks worship just like the rest of us, and, and they might do it. I'm talking about the, the special needs children. They might do it in a little different way than perhaps we do, but my heart is convinced that uh, they worship and, and they understand about God. Well, it's a little different morning than it was yesterday morning, right? It's hard to believe that uh, 24 hours ago the snow was, uh, it was snowing to beat the band, and then by 5 o'clock you couldn't tell we had any snow. I want to invite your attention this morning to the book of Matthew, and of course all the words will be on the screen behind me. A while back, I read a, a, a little article that uh, Max Licato had written, and he made the statement that plane flights and people coming to worship, people on a plane and people coming to worship have a lot in common. And 
I began to think about that, and when I was on one of my plane flights, I kind of made some observations. And he's, he's kind of right. People in a pew and people on a plane do have a lot, of, a lot in common. They're both on a journey. Most are kind of well-behaved and presentable. Some doze and others just gaze out the window. And most, if not all, are satisfied with a very predictable experience. For many, the mark of a good flight and the mark of a good worship service are the same. Nice, we like to say. It was a nice flight. It was a nice worship service. And we exit the same way that we enter. And for the most part, we're happy to return. A few, however, are not content with nice. They long for something more. The boy who sat in front of me in a flight that I took from Chattanooga to Dallas was such a person. I heard him before I saw him. He was pleading with his mom for a window seat. I was already sitting down in my seat when he asked with childlike enthusiasm, Mommy, can I sit by the window seat? Can I sit by the window? And then before she could even answer him, he repeated it, Please, Mom! And he could hardly stifle his enthusiasm. With a nod from his mom, he kind of jumped into the, the window seat there and his eyes were wide as he was looking out the window and he was talking about how big the plane's wings were. And then he began to talk about the baggage carts or trains that were down there. And then he spotted this big airliner that was kind of across the tarmac from us and began asking a lot of questions about that particular airliner. Where was it going? And then he started, when are we going to take off? How long? How long? When are we going to take off? And no one else on that plane showed that kind of wonder. You know, one of the things I enjoy is just reading people's faces. Sometimes we'll be out shopping somewhere and I'll just sit down and, and watch people. While Renee shops, I'm not a big shopper. You're probably surprised at that. But anyway... And I'll just, I'll just watch faces. And so that particular day, I, I just kind of did that. Because the boy's interest had kind of piqued my attention. And I watched other folks as they were coming on. And I didn't see that kind of enthusiasm in anybody else's face. I mostly saw contentment. Contentment to be on the plane. Contentment to be closer to their destination. Contentment just to be out of the gates there of the airport. Content to just kind of sit and stare and not say a whole lot. Now there were a few exceptions. A few of the passengers I noticed would greet and introduce themselves to whoever the person that they were going to be sitting by for the duration of, of the plane flight. One of them was definitely a chatty Kathy, and I was kind of glad I wasn't going to be sitting next to her for the next several hours. There was, there was a family of five that was excited because they were apparently their trip was going to conclude in Orlando, and they were going to be spending some time at some theme parks there. 
But the three teenagers there, they weren't really excited. They weren't excited about the plane ride. They weren't excited about the window seat. There was the fellow that kind of sit on the aisle across from me who was carrying a blue blazer on his arm. He was scowling. He sat down. He opened up his laptop and he just scowled at the screen the entire time. Other people around me put on earphones, played with their phones, or just kind of slouched down in their seat and, and tried to get some shut-eye. The boy, on the other hand, he wanted more. He wanted a window seat. And once we took off, he had a blast. He was talking about clouds and what their shapes look like and what animals they might look like or, or some other type of object. As we got altitude, he began to talk about how small everything looked. And at one point, he, he looked below and he said, Mom, they look smaller than ants. And when it became dark, he was thrilled to see all the tiny specks of light. And he said, they're like Christmas lights, he proclaimed to his mom. But most of us, we were content. Content with a predictable, uneventful flight. A nice flight. And since that is what we saw, that is what we got. The boy, however, if asked to describe that flight, he wouldn't have said, nice. He'd likely talk about all the things that he had seen through that window. Do you see why people on a plane and people in a pew have a lot in common? Enter a church sanctuary and look at the faces. Some people are smiling and giggling. Other people are kind of cranky. Just saying it the way it is. But by and large, we're content. Just content to be here. Content to look and stare straight ahead and leave when the service is over. Content to enjoy a service with no surprises and no turbulence. Content with a nice service. Seeking you shall find, Jesus promised. And since a nice service is what we seek, a nice service is usually what we find. But a few... They seek more. They come with the childlike enthusiasm that that boy came with. And those don't leave the same way they came in. They leave with a wide-eyed wonder of being in the window seat. The same thing happened to Jesus. The day Jesus went to worship, his face was changed. You're telling me that Jesus went to worship? I am. The Bible speaks of a day when Jesus stood with some of his friends in the presence of God. And I want to read that passage this morning as we talk about worship. Matthew chapter 17 begins in verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, up on a high mountain by themselves. While they watched, Jesus' appearance was changed. His face became bright like the sun, and his clothes became bright as white as light. Then Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you want, I will put up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
While Peter was talking, a bright cloud covered them. A voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son whom I love, and I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. So we're in week six of this series that we're entitled, I Love Our Church. And we've been looking at a little lot of different elements of church. And this morning we're kind of going to focus in on worship. And the first thing I want you to notice out of this text this morning, out of this story about Jesus and these three disciples, is we should come prepared to worship. The words of Matthew here presuppose a decision on the part of Jesus to stand in the presence of God. The simple fact that he chose his companions and he went up on a mountain suggests that this was not... A spur-of-the-moment decision. Jesus didn't wake up one morning, look at his calendar, maybe look at his watch or pull out his phone to see what time it was and then go, Oh, oh, oops, today's the day that I'm supposed to go up to the mountain. No, he had preparations to make. Ministry to people was suspended so that his heart could be ministered to. Since the chosen place, that he, the place that he was going to worship, since he had looked at that in advance, this mountaintop, he had to know the path to get there. He had certain roads to follow. And by the time he was on that mountain, his heart was ready. Jesus prepared for worship. Let me ask you, do you do the same? Do you prepare for worship? What path do you take to go up to the mountain? I know that may seem like kind of a foreign question when you people are sitting in a, in a building like this. But my hunch is a lot of us just wake up and we show up. In fact, I think probably far too many actually wake up Sunday morning and decide, are we going to worship today? Max Licato in that article I was telling you about that I read makes this statement. We're sadly casual when it comes to meeting God. And I think he kind of nails it. We are very casual about meeting God. Would we be so lackadaisical if we were going to meet the president? I mean, if you received an invitation from the president of the United States and he was inviting you to a Sunday morning breakfast with him... Would you be so lackadaisical about it? I think not. You'd probably set out what you were going to wear on Saturday night. If not even earlier than that, you'd be thinking about it. You would probably make sure that you got a good night's sleep. You would be sure to kind of think about the questions and, and maybe the things, requests that you wanted to you know, ask the president about. Maybe some comments that you wanted to make. We would prepare for that. Should we prepare any less for an encounter with a holy God on Sunday morning? I think too often we think about it as, well, I'm coming to church. We're going to church. It's more than that. We have to move from from church attendance to worship. That's what we're doing. We are coming to worship the creator of the universe. 
We are coming to hear what he has to say to us. We are coming to hear his word. We should prepare. You should pray before you come so that when you pray here, it's meaningful. You should sleep so that you'll be alert. Read the word during the week so that your heart is soft when you arrive. Come hungry. Come willing. Come expecting God to speak to you. Come asking as you walk through those doors. I want the window seat today. I want to be amazed at what God has to say to me. And as you do, you'll discover something else about worship. We should expect to be changed through worship. That's exactly what happens to Jesus on the mountain. His appearance was changed. Look in verse 2. There he was transfigured before them. His face became bright like the sun. You know, this event is known as the transfiguration. The word transfigured is where we get our word metamorphosis. And it means to change into another form. And that word metamorphosis, I'm sure probably most of us, probably what that clicks the most with is probably when you were in elementary school. I know I had this experience and I'm sure some others of you did. It's the the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. You know, a lot of times in in elementary school, you'll have that jar, that whatever, and and you'll just kind of watch it over uh, the the spring, watch that that, that cocoon and that, that thing turn into a butterfly. Well, that's the word metamorphosis. And in this particular passage, Jesus, who had been living in human form, that was the only way that the disciples had seen Jesus up until this point, and that's why we call this the transfiguration. They had seen Jesus only as a human. He claimed to be the Son of God. He did miracles that you couldn't explain other than the fact that he was God. But they had never really seen him in in the glory of God, so to speak. And so that's what happens here. He was seen, this, this radiant way that he was seen. He was seen in such a way that it just defied description. The manifestation of his glory was before these three guys, Peter, James, and John. And this metamorphosis or transfiguration gave these three guys a preview of what Jesus would look like as God. And it also confirmed his deity as God. The next phrase there, his his face became bright like the sun. Some translations put it white as light. And it kind of gave supernatural testimony to the fact that he was God. And here's something I think that's interesting. It talks about his face. I don't think that's a coincidence. The connection between our face and worship. Our face is the most public parts of our, our bodies. It's the part that we cover up the least. It's also the most recognizable part of our bodies. In the high school yearbooks, they don't take pictures of our feet, right? No, nobody would recognize us. They take pictures of our face. God desires to take our faces, this exposed, memorable part of our bodies, and and use use that to reflect His goodness. Paul talks about it. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians. Our faces then are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory. 
And we are being changed to be like him. This change brings ever greater glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God invites us to see his face, and then he changes us. And he uses us to display his glory. And you know this transformation that happens? I don't know that it's always easy, but I know God is up to the task. I don't know that the sculpturer of of Mount Mount Rushmore had a a more challenging task than probably God does sometimes with us to to get our faces to, to radiate his glory. But he loves to change the faces of his, of his children. And he can rub the wrinkles of worry away. And shadows of shame and doubt can become portraits of, of, of grace and trust. He can relax those clenched jaws. Smooth the wrinkles, the, our, our eyebrows. His touch can take away the bags of, of weariness under our eyes. And he can turn tears of despair into tears of peace and expressions of hopelessness can become cries of joy. How does he do that? Through worship. He changes us. I think sometimes we might expect something more complicated, something that we have to do more. You know, like like maybe we have to memorize the book of Leviticus for him to change us. Or maybe we have to have a 40-day fast or 24 straight hours of prayer. But that's not what he requires. His plan is simple. He changes us when we realize who he is through worship. So exactly, what is worship? It's a great question, right? What what is worship? So we're going to have just a quick English lesson this morning. I know that's exciting. I can see the excitement on everybody's faces. You are thrilled about that. But I just want to kind of remind you of some terms that you've probably been acquainted with in the past. Maybe you don't remember them. Maybe you do, but I'm going to kind of remind you about them. So here's the first one. The word synonym. How many of you remember what a synonym is? All right, that's a lot better than the early service. Of course, there are a few more decades removed than most of you in here. But, but anyway... It's a word that means the same as another. When something is synonymous, we use that word to help understand the other. The next word is antonym. How many of you remember what that means? Wow, I'm impressed because early service, people just had forgotten everything, I guess. It means the opposite. And Webster actually defines it as inherently incompatible. The third word, how about homonym? How many of you remember what that is? Okay, a few less people, but it is a a word that is spelled the same, sounds alike, but it has a different meaning. And you kind of have, you see those all day, and and you just kind of pick up by the context of of whatever it is you're reading or saying or whatever, what that particular word means. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to say some words, and when I say those words, I want you to think about... The first thing that comes into your mind, and then we're going to kind of do a little poll here and, 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 see, and see where it goes. So I'll say a word. Don't, don't blurt anything out. Just think in your mind the first thing that you think about. So if I say the word crane, what's the first thing that you think about? How many of you think about a bird? Okay. All right. How many of you think about a heavy piece of equipment? 
Okay, more, more, more the, the heavy piece of equipment. How many of you think about the verb like somebody craning their neck to see something? Nobody? Oh, one over here. I thought I saw one up there somewhere. So, all right. So, that, so that's the word crane. Let's, let's do another word. How about the word date? Word date. How many of you think about a food? Okay, a few. How many of you think about something that you never hardly do anymore with your spouse? Anybody there? Yeah, that's what I thought. So how many of you think about like it's a social relationship kind of thing? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. By the way, guys, this is, this is a hint. Friday is Valentine's Day. This is a reminder, okay? So, so don't forget, it's Friday. So, All right, let's do, do another word. How about the word right? The word right. So how many of you, when you hear the word right, you think of like a side, like the right or the left side? Just, just stick your hands up. Okay, that, 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 that's a few people. How many of you think about being correct, like I was right? Okay, then there's another meaning, and I, I, I couldn't really figure out a good way to say it, a very spiritual way, but like you have a right to party kind of idea, that kind of idea. I know, nobody's going to raise their hand on that, right? but that, I don't know, justice kind of idea or something. Now I'm going to do another word, and I don't want you to raise your hands this time, but I just, I just want you to think. What comes to your mind when I say the word worship? You probably have a thought that immediately comes to mind. And I would say for the majority of us, the first thing that pops in your mind when you hear the word worship is Oh, that's the singing time. That's, that's when we sing. And, and maybe your mind goes a little bit further, like the picture they're going to show you. And, you know, it's people kind of swaying and holding up their hands. And, and that's the first thing that, that comes, to your, comes to your mind. That part of the service when we sing, you know, you get to stand and, and stretch out a little bit. Maybe uh, if you're one of those expressive people and you wear a Fitbit, you get to knock off a few more calories, you know, your activity, that kind of stuff is a bonus. That's not an inaccurate description of worship, but it is an incomplete description of worship. Because if worship was only the time that we sing in the sanctuary, we are really missing out on a lot of what the Bible has to teach us about worship. Listen to King David's definition in the book of Psalms. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. So David is saying the definition of worship is the act of magnifying God enlarging our vision of who God is, looking out the windows to see where He sits and observing how He works. And of course, His size doesn't change, but our perception of Him does. Think about the boy in the window seat, and he's looking up at the clouds from the runway. The clouds look small. But we all know if you've ever ridden in a plane and gotten into the clouds, the clouds are pretty big when you get into them. But the clouds didn't change. Just the perspective of the clouds changed. And as we get closer to God, He seems bigger, doesn't He? And we need a big God, right? Because we have big problems and big questions and big issues and big worries. 
And we need a big view of God. And God is in the business of changing us through worship. Worship offers that. How can we sing songs like, Holy, 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 and not have our vision of God expanded? How can we sing lines from, It is well with my soul, and not have our faces illuminated? You know, in Scripture, it talks about faces shining when they realize who God is. After speaking to God, Moses had to cover his face with a veil. Stephen, over in the book of Acts, said that they said that his face glowed like that of an angel. That's what God does. And let me be clear about something. It's his job to change us. It's his job to change our faces, not ours. Our goal is not to try to make our faces radiant. It's not to pump ourselves up in some kind of emotional frenzy in a worship service, nor is it, you know, come in with a frozen expressionless face either. But it's to simply stand before God with a prepared and a willing heart and then let God do His work. And He does. He wipes away the tears. He takes away the perspiration. He softens the worry brows. He touches our cheeks. He changes us. But there's another point. Not only does He change us, He changes those who watch us. You ever thought about that? Our worship should be contagious to others. Remember the boy who wanted the window seat? I've had a window seat on a plane before. But you know, when I was watching him look out that window and talk about it, I was like, wow, I wonder what he's looking at. Like I was like, I want a window seat. Because I was curious. Because he had piqued my interest. Well, worship should be the same way. That same dynamic should come into play when we come to worship with a heart of worship. Paul told the Corinthian church to worship in such a way that if an unbeliever entered into, the, into their, their worship gathering, that they would, they would catch to this. It would be contagious. Listen to this. Listen to how he words it. This is good stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He would find, talking about the, the, the unbeliever, he would find the secrets of his heart revealed and would fall down on his face and worship God, declaring that God is indeed among you. David talks about the power of honest worship. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many people will see this and worship him. Then they will trust the Lord. See, your heartfelt worship has, has, has a missionary appeal to it. Let unbelievers see your passion. Let them see your excitement when you talk about the things of God. Let them see the sincerity in your face. And they might be changed too. Peter was. So we go into this passage a little bit further. Look at verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you want... That if you want phrase could be translated if you wish. And the general idea among a lot of commentators is they think that, that Peter actually thought that, that Jesus would want him to do this. So you understand that when it says if you wish. Like surely this is what Jesus wants me to do. I will put up three tents 
Here one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Mark says, there's a parallel passage in the book of Mark. Mark says that he did this out of fear. Luke also talks about this particular event. Luke says he did it out of ignorance. And I think there's probably some combination of that, 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 that Peter just didn't understand what was going on. And maybe there was some fear involved in that. But here's what you got to give Peter credit for. He wanted to do something. Now, he didn't realize that God wanted hearts, not tents. But he was trying to do something. Why? Because God was changing him. He was changed by the face of Christ. And the same thing happens in churches today. When people see us giving heartfelt praises to God, when they see us worshiping, they are intrigued. And God can use us. When we're in the window seat, the sparks of fire that people see can ignite dry hearts. I experienced something similar growing up. I watched my first football game at the age of nine. It was on a cold January day in my grandmother's living room. And uh, it was one of those, some of you will remember the big wooden console TVs, you know, like Curtis Mathis or something, the great big monstrosities. Sometimes they had stereos and stuff in them too. So that's what I watched, my first football game on ever. It was a color TV, if you wanted to call it color. I mean, the word color was somewhat subjective. And the first game I ever watched was a playoff game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Detroit Lions. It was one of the lowest scoring playoff games of all time. The final score was 6-3. to three. Big old field goal battle. But I was hooked. I watched that game by myself, but after that I was hooked. And I mean, I, you know, ate, slept, watched everything about football. That was just what I did. I just, I just loved football growing up. My dad was kind of a casual fan. My brothers were pretty into it. My dad just kind of a casual fan. And my mom, she could care less. I mean, I think she was just kind of amused at our passion for football and just kind of tolerated it. So eventually I go off for college and I come home my freshman year of college and my mom is watching a football game. With my dad. And I can never remember my mom watching a football game. And by the time I graduated, four years later, my mom had become this incredible football fan. And of course, being in Texas, there was cowboy memorabilia all over the, the house. And then, I mean, she was like, she just didn't even watch the Cowboys play. She'd watch anybody play. And uh, she'd watch all the Monday night games and, and she could cheer and shout with the best of them. So some years later, we were having a conversation. And uh, she was a big football fan by this point, watching college football and everything. And uh, so I said, Mom, what, what made you become a football fan? She said, well, I used to watch you and your brothers and your dad. And it just looked like a lot of fun. And so I wanted to see what it was all about. Seekers, people, unbelievers, may not understand all that happens in a house of worship. They might not understand the significance of certain words. They may not understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper. 
But I tell you this, they'll understand joy when they see it. And when they say, see your face changed, when they see God change you, they're going to want to know why. And they're going to want to see God's face too. And by the way, wouldn't the opposite be true also? What happens when an unbeliever sees boredom on your face? Or what happens when others are worshiping and they see you scowling? Others are in his presence, but you're kind of off in your own little world. Others are seeking God's face while you're looking at your phone. Others are excited about what's going on, but you're just complaining and negative all the time. You are singing about the joy of Christ, but God forbid you should smile about it. My pastor used to put it this way. Some of you look like you are weaned on pickle juice. And I'm telling you, when you stand up here, it looks that way sometimes. And as long as I'm getting a little personal, can I kind of take a step a little bit closer? What are your children seeing? Parents, grandparents, what are your children and grandchildren learning about worship? Do they see the same excitement about coming to a worship service as they see when you go to a football game? Do they see the same preparations take place coming for worship as perhaps going on a vacation? Do they see you prepare for worship, that you're hungry to arrive and that you seek the face of the Father? Do they see that same desire that you have going to sporting events? for coming to worship? Do they sense your excitement as you come through the door that you're glad to be here and you're looking forward to it and you're expecting God to do something? Or do they just see you kind of going through some motions and you're content to arrive and content to leave the way you came? They are watching. Believe me. They are watching. For all of us. Do you come to church with a worship-hungry heart? Our Savior did. May I urge you to be like Jesus. Prepare your heart for worship. Let God change you through worship. Demonstrate the power of worship. Seek the window seat the boy did. And because he sought the window seat, he left changed. When you seek the face of God, the same thing can happen to you. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for this morning's passage. and Father, I just pray for us. When you do something a lot, it's easy to just kind of come and forget purposes. It's easy to come and be distracted by other things that have happened during the week. Father, I just pray for us. Just kind of refresh our minds about why we're here. Help us to see you, not just in church, but in creation, in the everyday things of life. 
Help us to magnify your name. Father, I pray that you change us. Father, help us to be people that when when people see us, that we just radiate you and they want to know who we are and why we're like that. Father, thank you for loving us. I pray for our time of commitment now. And Father, I just pray that for all of us, we just ask ourselves what it is that you want us to learn today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.